0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Check. I'm Brady Vixilio, owner of Steinhober's Restaurant in La Bella Italia on Laskin Road in Virginia Beach.
1: And I'm Alvin Williams, owner of Cobalt Grove Restaurant in Hilltop, Virginia Beach. Welcome to The Check. The Check is a podcast about restaurants and people
0: who work in restaurants, people who
1: own restaurants, and the people who like to dine in restaurants.
0: We'd like to welcome Lindsay Bennett to the podcast this week. Lindsay is the owner of Press 626 Restaurant in Norfolk. She's also a sommelier. A mom, a semi pro poker player, and a lover of fine cigars, and an all around cool person. Lindsay, we're happy that you could join us today on the chat. What's new with you?
2: Oh, well, you know, it's been uh, exciting times, both good and bad lately. So uh, just trying to you know, keep my head above water, that's for sure, and you know, keep our eye on the prize move forward
1: hey Lindsay. welcome to the check hi tell us a little bit about uh press your restaurant in norfolk virginia and what's going on right there uh, right now
2: well um press uh was born 11 and a half years ago and um it's a small very boutique-y restaurant nine tables inside well five now um uh in a victorian house built in 1906 uh, focuses on wine for sure Um, that's why we are called press we press grapes to make wine Um, we do french press coffees and i was focusing on press sandwiches at the time as well
0: so it kind of all played together awesome i didn't know that so what have you been doing to survive as you said
2: um Every day is a new challenge. Every minute of the day is a new challenge, and it's just pivoting and turning. You know, in the end, it's survival of the fittest. Um, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work, without destroying your brand as well. That's another key thing that um, uh, maybe I might have more flexibility with than than maybe other folks. But um, uh, you know, because we are a specialty, higher end wine bar, um, we're not going to be. We tried the um, just you know takeout system, and I wasn't going to go to a third-party DoorDash or what have you to deliver my food. I've, I've taken my food home. I live 25 minutes away from my restaurant, and it is nothing like when you eat it in my restaurant. And so that drives me crazy if someone were to come home and not have the quality of the food that's being prepared in our restaurant to then taking it home. And that, and I've being using those third-party things personally myself, ordering from other restaurants that I know have incredible food and getting it an hour and a half later and it's just being atrocious. I never wanted that. So I um, we ended up going ahead and shutting down for a month, um, giving all of my staff some much needed time off and then reevaluating how we were going to reopen. Um, we reopened in phase two when we were able to have a patio outside, which we now uh, are rocking out our parking lot with nine tables outside.
1: Do you feel you're getting further and further away from your original model and your dream of what you had anticipated doing when you opened your restaurant?
2: Um, We did, at the beginning, uh, maybe a little bit. um, But I will tell you this, I have kind of been in this experience before and learned a lot. When we opened, we opened in the 2008 era of the stock market crash. And when we were building out the restaurant, I had a whole business plan coming from Todd Jerk's Bistro. I wanted to do something similar, especially when I walked into that kitchen. My kitchen is the size of this table right here. Um, I could only imagine that my chefs were going to need the whole day to prepare for dinner service. Um, so we, we were going to be a higher end place. Um you know, higher-end wineless. And when the stock market crashed in the middle of the build-out, I completely changed my business plan and went to 50 wines under $50 and um, did a casual, a lot more casual menu where people could come to my restaurant once or twice a week, not once a month.
1: Lindsay, you grew up with parents who worked in the restaurant industry. Looking back on your childhood, what were some of the things that sparked your interest in making restaurants part of your career? None of it. None of it?
2: None of it. Um, I worked in the restaurant business. I started, um, I, I worked with my dad. I went over one time and he was living in San Francisco and worked with my dad at the most gorgeous bed and breakfast. Um, it was over in Oakland, California and it was all windows into this kitchen and I just saw gleaming stainless steel everywhere. It was the cleanest, most beautiful, peaceful. You could hear the hum of the AC units and, the, and I absolutely loved that. And I started working pretty much full-time when I was 14 years old. My first job was Dairy Queen. Um, But uh, I knew that I needed to use that business to – nobody was going to help me, (laughs) period. I was on my own in my life. So um, I was going to use that to get to college and get through college and then become whatever I was going to become at that point. I thought I was going to be an environmental lawyer. Um, But uh, I got my degree in biology with my minor in poli-sci and took my LSATs. And met my husband.
1: <laughs> so you had dreams and aspirations, and you you always knew that you were going
0: to do something big. And Always.
2: Uh, yeah. Always.
0: Hustler from day one. Always. A less obvious connection to your success with restaurants was your membership in Future Farmers of America while you were in high school. Can you tell us, uh, you can you guys, tell us uh, how that has helped?
2: You guys, that, that was the best experience ever all through middle school and uh, only part of high school. I came from Green Run, which is back then they used to call it gang run here in Virginia Beach and it was hardcore man i got i mean there's gangs everywhere i woke up to to guns and violence i've been in so many f- street fights myself yes i am a thug girl um, <laughs> Uh, and, and coming from there, and just waking up and trying to protect yourself every day, uh, and then go into Daytona Beach. It's a old, small beach town, and very country. Believe it or not, you had you know you had Bike Week and NASCAR, and that was it. Besides that, it is a country, rural town, and I just I, I fell in love with plants, nature, animals.
1: From what I understand, you uh, attended bar to help pay for college and put yourself through college, um, but you weren't quite. Uh, a wine aficionado at that point and, and you are now obviously I, I believe you're a certified sommelier and where did your interest in wine begin and, and how did that start and, and where are you with it now uh,
2: from my life changed. It totally made a, a, a 180 degree p- pivot from, um, when I started working at Todd Jerks Bistro, which at the time was the number one restaurant in Hampton Roads. And I mean, I'm, I'm blue collar, man, I was so scared to start tending bar there. I had no, no idea about wine. I did know about beer, because I had just left um, Abbey Road, which is down at the beach, which is a huge brew pub. And so I actually was really well versed in beers. No, no education in wine.
0: You talk a lot about making wine accessible. How do you do that in your restaurant, Press 66?
2: Well, um, like I said, uh, you know, started out with the restaurant doing 50 wines under $50, making the wines affordable first. Now, at one point, I had um, almost 700 bottles on my wine list. Now we've gone down to about 450. And I think that's. I mean 9 tables and 450 selections is a, is still pretty good. So we have we've, we've had our two stem award from Wine Spectator for this is our third year in a row. But but my point is to make sure uh, a the wine book is divided it's it reads like a book. Each each area has its own little kind of paragraph, its opening lines to kind of get get to know the region that you're ordering from. It has maps. It has little tidbits of information of, you know, uh, fun facts. Um, so, I mean, just that Is essential, but the number one thing is having our. Even though I have the certification of being a certified sommelier, my staff is very well versed in wines. So I think that's the really the biggest part. We serve a really large um, by the glass list that anybody can sample, really as many as they want to, and find their right little um, avenue.
1: And I I may have interrupted you earlier. What is uh, how did your passion grow for wine?
2: So, um um I'm an alcoholic. Um so anything <laughs> involving alcohol really works for me. Okay. But um a
1: functioning alcoholic. Yes. Yeah. yeah
2: I say that very, you know, <laughs> off the cuff and <laughs> free-spirited. Um yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today if I was just sitting in a back door just with a bottle of tequila in my hand the whole time, only part of the time. Uh, but honestly, uh it was I, this The, the exact the, – the night – I remember the night it happened, and it was with Mark Sauter at Todd Jerk's Bistro, and me and Mark had become really good friends. And he only, he literally took me under his wing, and as we would close, we'd open a bottle of wine, and he would sit me down with maps and educational things, and we'd just sit and drink wine and talk about wine. And – my, I, I was very studious as a child, even through all the five high schools I went to and dropping out and all this stuff. I was very, I, I, I prided myself on education and particularly in the sciences, plants and animals. And so when, uh, when he was showing me the geography and understanding the winds and the trade winds and how it affects the grapes and, and, and the soil and so, so it just, so when we're sipping this wine that I loved, it was from Australia and he takes me down to the Barossa, McLaren Vale. That's where, that's what we were studying that, that night. And it just all clicked. I'm like, I'm drinking this wine and I get to study the soil, the winds, the grapes, this geographic location and why it does what this does. And to get this thing in the glass that I'm so enjoying right now. Yeah. yeah. This, this, okay. I'm that's, dedicating myself to that's this.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. i i I get it i understand that was it from what i understand you play poker somewhat semi-professional or professional
2: yes 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 i used to um i have i don't anymore you know when i when i met my husband he's a very sensitive man um and um i was i was definitely running the uh poker circuit uh prior to him traveling all over the country playing poker um loved it uh loved the freedom of it um Um, I trained under um, a gentleman who's one of the best poker players regionally here, and he's the one who got me into it, and I had a knack for it, man. There is nothing better (laughs) than being able to um, uh, manipulate and and outsmart your opponent and especially being a female and I realized I, I did it very well. And and I'm the most honest person in the world. That's the problem is generally I'm the most honest person in the world. But in the poker world, you can be anything you wanna be and it's so awesome. Um, It's a great feeling, and I realized I had a a good knack for it, so I played a lot. When I met my husband, I told him, I said, you're getting involved with a gambler, um, and what I do is, you know, it it might be hard on a man's mindset. And at first, he was cool with it. Once he got that ring on my finger, he started pulling uh, pulling me back and reining me in. And then once I had my daughter, I I tried to incorporate it like two times a year in my life and make family trips out of it. But then even that,
1: I did, I did, what I did.
2: I went to the I went to the Caribbean Poker Tour. We stayed in Saint Martin. I played very well there, and I uh, we did we did um, a couple other things. But it, it, it's not the same. You need to be by yourself because it is a job. It is twelve to fourteen hours a day of just of ins in extreme intense mental work and you can't have, um, it, it makes you lose your focus. So I decided to just kind of give that up right now. And, uh, so are
1: you, are you good with the cards and, and reading cards or are you good with the bluffing and, and the psychological of part of it? All is of it. is, is it all mathematics. one thing? It's all dim- well, yeah. Yeah, it's,
2: it's, well, it's, 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 it's la- I mean, it's a layer, it's an onion. It's the most, it's the most layered, the toughest uh, thing I've ever done, but because there's so many layers, um, to this game uh, and j- just like life and just like the restaurant business the restaurant business is not just putting out good food and drink we all can do that but it's psychological it's building the environment and your ambiance it's having it's saying it's selling these things in suggestive ways with suggestive words it's plating I could, you could make a dish I could make the same dish and somebody would love your dish and not love mine it could be the same exact thing because of the way you stylized your plating and not, and I didn't
1: oh they're having a different experience at a different night in a different climate in a different yeah
2: and that is poker
1: i was i was gonna say you know i'm not a gambler at all but i guess i am because i own a restaurant yes
2: oh it's the biggest (laughs) gamble of the world
1: i've been to vegas once and i was there for three nights and that was kind of enough for me well you opened your restaurant when you were just 28 years old what kind of challenges have you faced as a a young female restaurant owner in
2: yeah i turned 28 november 17th and my baby opened up uh the on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. I've been in the business really my entire life. I've worked every aspect of the business except for the kitchen. And I knew that was my Achilles heel, right? That was going to be my weakness. I had to always have a really great kitchen staff.
0: You've taken a special interest in connecting women with good wine and expanding their horizons with new varieties. Can you tell us more about that?
2: Sure. I mean... It's not that I focus on women. It's just that women are drawn to me. They're drawn to my business and my restaurant. And I, you know, I mean, I, I guess I can relate to them better, you know, just me being one of the few female restaurateurs, um and sommeliers in this area, you know, I just have, I just haven't. Uh, they can, they can relate to me and I can relate to them more. That's the, the key. They also make probably gen- generally, I mean, not probably, they do make significantly less than the man. Um, so I, again, I, I think I, I know their palette better. I know their pocketbook better. You know, I, I know their, 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 their habits better. And so I think I, I'm able to, um, connect with them, you know, on a
1: deeper level. So as part of our education, Brady and I, we listen to other podcasts and one that we were listening to lately is um, called How I Built This with Guy Raz. And he was interviewing with Shake Shack founder, Danny Meyer, and he touched on some of Danny Meyer's unsuccessful ventures and what he learned from them. And Meyer explained that his goal is not to feel bad about having to close restaurants and that he's learned to fail faster now and not to hang in there longer than he should. And a few years ago, from what I understand, you and your husband uh, encountered some difficulties when you tried to recreate the success you've had at your Norfolk location of Press 626 by opening one in Virginia Beach on Shore Drive. And then after that, I, I believe it morphed into Riptide, Burger and Tiki Bar at the same location. Can you walk us through that whole experience and tell us the lessons you learned?
2: Sure. Well, first let's let's start with what you, one that you don't I don't know if y'all know or remember is that I opened an incredible restaurant called the Pepper Mill um, down on Forty uh, Second Collie in two thousand and eleven. Right after I had Layla, uh, I went back to work at Press and. Is that I, where
1: the little breakfast joint was it, or something down there? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Good. And
2: now it, and then I, we sold it to Dirty Buffalo. It was an incredible diner. My husband and I are, bl- are blessed to be able to travel um, f- frequently to really nice areas, um, both for business and pleasure. Um, and one thing that we were always going to um, late night snacks and drinks were these diners. Um, my family's part Jewish. They all live in Miami and they would take me all to the great diners and delis out there. <laughs> I love it. I and, love it. And then Ed and I, you know, we go to Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., New York. um, I mean, you name it. And we were always going to diners and delis. And it was just a part of my lifestyle. And there wasn't a lot here. And they were the typical, if you did go to a diner, it was a typical, like, they didn't even serve alcohol, red booze, yada, yada. And that's not what it is, man. And it's it's so many other places. I mean, they're like, they're bars. They're really cool places. They crank up the music and they're serving, uh, they're serving French toast, I'm drinking, I'm eating French toast and drinking an espresso martini at one in the morning while my husband's having an incredible burger with his uh, Manhattan, Right. you know, and, 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 the bars rocking. And so I wanted to bring that here and, um, I knew come, I was an ODU graduate and I knew that area was going to blow up. And so I wanted to be the first guy down there and I was, um, really the first new guy down there. And... I had it for six months, man, and I was busy on the weekends, but absolutely dead on the weekdays. And I tried to get people in to understand, hey, come in. You know, we're not just a diner for the weekends. Right. Um, and the fact that there was no synergy down there yet. There was no, being the first guy, being ahead of your time, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's great if you can hang on. But I was losing left and right, and my husband's like, get the hell out of here. And, you know, I, I still had press. Thank God, you know, press Press has been freaking amazing since day one but i wanted to try something new try something different and i should have probably never put the word diner on that i, I think diner because it wasn't the food the foods the food was phenomenal i 100 everything homemade from scratch and we did the whole thing that you know um that's something that would maybe get the diners driving drive, drive i call them drive bys um <laughs> <laughs> you know um uh to come in we did you know the huge waffle with a uh, dozen eggs a uh, pound of bacon 12 sausage links you were just stuff. too early i was too early i was too early and it was incredible and i think about it all the time because that ba- that that baby was the jam um
1: and press on shore?
2: So press on shore, I vowed I'd never open another press because press is special and press is the, it's it's the building, it's the ambiance. it's the everything. And that's what, you know, you can't replicate that. Maybe I could do it, but I'll do it with a, like a, like kind of like a Havana night's twist, you know, because it's on the beach, you know, do a like kind of an old school Havana feel back stuck kind of in the, you know, retro.
1: So maybe it was the right restaurant, but in a in
0: not the right location.
2: Uh, I should have just given it probably I should have given it more time.
0: The National Restaurant Association has released some staggering data related to COVID 19 in the restaurant industry. Four in ten restaurants have closed. Eight million employees have been laid off or furloughed, and they're estimating two hundred and forty billion dollars in lost sales by the end of this year. How are you making it through all this? And what do you think the future holds for you and your restaurants or restaurant in general?
2: We will make it no matter what. We're very blessed to own the building. So we have flexibility with that. Uh, and we are, you know, pivoting on so many, you know, things. Um, I'm, I, I, I don't like to be the face of the restaurant. I'm one that kind of, believe it or not, sits in the background and everything. So, uh, but uh, I'm going to have to do something about it. So I'm, we're going to start, you know, I'm going to start hand selling more more wine and doing virtual wine seminars and you know, I don't know, do what we can. If we can't, if this covid thing continues to come up, I'll just I'll just I'll just shut it down again. I mean, not that it's going anywhere. I'll just take a few months off and call it a day. I mean, we have, you know, we it's it won't hurt too bad,
1: so What do you well. think about the virtual wine dinners? I was contemplating doing that where you you come up with a menu and you kind of do the food and you put it in a box and you send it to him to, to your guests and you send them half bottles of wine. And and then over what's the zoom over Zoom? zoom, you you say, okay, this is what you do with the food and open this wine and pair it.
2: I'm not going to do it with the food. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'll do. That's an extra
1: step too, too much.
2: So, you know, Mark, one of my best friends, Mark Sauter, he, you know, he's like, Lindsay, just, you have to do it. You have to do it. This is what we do. He's guided me through it. Mark
1: Sauter owns Zoe's restaurant
0: in Virginia Beach.
2: Um, but and He's you know, he's a samba. he's the guy's, he's the guy
0: Mark is that the guy. changed
2: my life. <laughs>
0: Mark, Mark has changed a lot I, of people's I, lives. I,
2: I yell at him all the time. He almost killed me time. one time,
0: huh? Yeah, I said, Mark has changed a lot of people's yeah. lives. He almost killed me, almost put me in a wheelchair one time. <laughs> we were in uh Napa and we were over there oh. at uh, Araho.
2: Was that when he backed up into the car?
0: Uh, oh my <laughs> god, with Emily we went Emily. across the You're bridge leaving oh, yeah. Arajo and and he went to the wrong gate or something that was locked so he's gonna back back over the bridge at about 45 miles an hour so i'm sitting on the hump in the back we hit this gate not hit it but pull up to this gate and and uh solder puts that whatever we're in that that escape in reverse and mashes the gas so we're we're going i don't know like I said, light speed in reverse. Hope it was a rental. Well, luckily and we, it was only a focus. <laughs> no, it was like it was an SUV. And we hit we hit the bridge abutment and and stopped dead. <laughs> anyway, you know, he just he, everywhere we went we backed in from then on. We went to all these different wineries with this tore up car. And Mark's <laughs> driving. Yeah. Mark's yeah. driving. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I brought a, a, a bottle of fine wine here because I know that you're an expert. And it's it's a very old bottle, yeah. and I'm hoping that it's still good. So I wanted your opinion on it.
2: This is uh, the Dunn Vineyards Howl Mountain, y'all. Howl Mountain. That produces some of the best wines in the world.
0: So Alvin got the 35-year-old four, oh. four, cork out of this bottle successfully. We're very concerned about it and thinking we needed a special tool called an ASO, which is a wine opener that goes down between the cork and the glass and is very good with fragile, older corks. So Alvin successfully... With a slow successfully hand. With, a, should, uh, with slow a, hand a, a slow hand and That's an right. easy touch. That's right. And successfully navigated a, a spiral corkscrew into this... Cork.
2: disintegrating cork.
1: Yeah. it was literally the last it three th- millimeters oh
0: it looks i mean like- yeah you
2: were able to <laughs>
0: it looks like powder this yeah. cork it's a powdered cork that was in this bottle of wine but we got it and then he just held the cork up to to lindsey's nose and her eyes rolled back into her head <laughs> so we're gonna find out something here we're gonna see if it's good or not it's good so, i think it's it's good so
2: that's boom <laughs> because
0: normally like you hear that the cork really means nothing about the wine No, that's not true at all and um Lindsay is is saying it's not true she's, no, an, not expert. True she's an expert she's an
1: expert
2: well first of all why do you you present a cork in the first place you guys well because
0: uh, are you going to present that cork i mean well, you have well, to
2: yeah you would you have to i mean you would yeah, and they would actually, um, the sommelier would put it in, like, a, uh, a nice... A Ziploc? Uh, a, a little... A coffee like can? A, a, little, a little beautiful bowl. A little and presenter. They would pre- yes, yeah. yeah, they would present it in a bowl.
0: Let's have a glass then, Brady. All right, all right, all right. Dear Lord. check it you over. Oh,
2: can you guys, can we
0: just give it a minute? Here, we got drinks here,
1: y'all. Oh, does it need to breathe? So...
0: Well, uh, it may it may it might degrade breathing. Let's see what we got. Just right, a well, little let me bit ask, into
1: let me ask her, Lindsay some technical questions. So Lindsay, here we have a, a, yes. a, a nice bottle. Um yes. it's it's not a it's not a cult wine, but it's but it's a very uh, good wine.
2: Yeah, it's it's close. It's yeah.
1: cultish. Yeah. So it's from 1985. It's,
2: it's one of the best well um, made uh, wines in in the, in in Napa Valley.
1: Now, in your opinion, would you uh, decant this wine, or would you pour it straight into a glass? I, what's your so
2: okay? So Mark and I have a, a running argument um, about decanting. I I do like my wines decanted. He has a double decanter, um, which I feel like gives too much air because. Because, it is a, because wine is a living breathing thing, I want to go through the process with the wine as the wine goes through the process with me. So I want to taste it as it first opens and then let it grow with me through the night. Where some people, and I will decant it. I would decant that one time, but I want, to, I, want I like a, a stout, like a, a stout and, and, and thin uh, neck. So it breathes, but it's not. It's not. Uh, Mark, you know, Mark will double decant it, which means that he he decants it
1: and then flips it over, puts it, it back over. in the and bottle, it, yeah. and
2: then fl- or flips it again. And it's uh, too and much. Now you're first of all, what you're trying to do is make a wine what it isn't. So too quickly, like. By giving it air, it opens up and then it could die. Just like Brady, I think, was suggesting is can you, you know, you can kill the wine. Like how delicate is the wine? Will it, how long? So let's stop manipulating the wine. I like to pour us like, I would like, I like to pour everybody quarter glasses, you know, pour and then decant y'all are experiencing that tightness that astringency that sourness is 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 this bad boy being very old and it hasn't breathed it needs the br- it needs air it needs to be oxygenated and you will see and what we all we need to do you guys and we've done this forever is just swirl your glass let's just take let's do a lindsay experiment here and we're just going to swirl the glass for like 30 seconds okay let's just swirl 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 you remember what it was like, right? So this is just
1: time. this is just not people being snobby in restaurants swirling their
0: glasses. No this is There's way, a natural reason guys. behind this.
2: Yes, is, yes, is yes,
0: aerating so the wine. So we're decanting in the glass.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you can pour a little bit and put it in your glass and take it to where you want it to be. We can just kind of do many scientific experiments in so many glasses, you know, not aerating, aerating, aerating for an hour, aerating for two hours. You know what I'm saying? I trust can, your
1: opinion. You are a young scientist
2: the flavor molecules and the alcohol molecules are going to reactivate and try, kind of integrate with each other and the fruit will start to come out so
0: keep on it's throwing. changing it's changing just keep on it's changing. be patient i had no doubt it would change yeah. i'm just not sure it changes in the direction i want it to okay well <laughs> well it's delicious
1: and it's it's a good wine it's not bad and you know because sometimes you can tell from the cork that no it's bad. no it's not a bad so it's wine not it's a good one and it's in good shape
2: yeah I think it's, uh, Dunn, Dun, if, if people don't know about Dunn Vineyards, it is one of the uh, longest um, cellaring wines you can have out of Napa Valley because sp- coming from Howell Mountain in the, in the colder climates from there, um, it, and the way Dunn makes their wines, which is truly one of the last uh, vineyards that does a true Bordeaux blend and makes them in that style, um, it, it, they they have more tannins and more structure and more acid and acid everything has to do with acid in a wine on the longevity of cellaring a wine this is a a wine done right it's gonna take some time I mean it might you know what is this so uh, it's this is a 35 year old wine you guys yeah. Um so she, she might be on the you know coming down on her uh, prime right now yeah mm. Uh, not me but uh <laughs> the wine the
1: wine wine yeah because wines do that they 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 peak and the, yeah, they, can have they get some to the dumb peak phases perfection too. and then they they level out and sure. then and then they'll start to to decrease but they
2: then they might come back up again they oh, get really? called dumb phases oh. yeah they go through little dumb phases
1: i'd never heard of that yeah, before
2: yeah mark huh. taught me that
1: huh yeah i, need I to don't take know when it's Mark's a dumb class. phase
2: and when it's not but No, I don't drink, you know, done 85 enough to know exactly what day. Well, you need to come around to to... the
1: podcast a little more. That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, Lindsay, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We talked about COVID-19. We talked about restaurants. We talked about being a woman in business. We really appreciate your openness and your time with us today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Lindsay. We, We talked about wine and we talked about all kinds of stuff. So We appreciate you being here and having your viewpoint Thank you I'm Alvin I'm Brady And this is The, the Check, Check.